from this computer. All right. Yeah. So um, thanks uh, for tuning in. I'm here with uh, Justin Lau, uh, who is um, a new friend of mine, um, who I met through another friend. <clears throat> and he grew up in Japan uh, and has since gone on to uh, study uh, theology at uh, Cranmer Hall. He's he's got a master's of arts degree in theology and ministry, as well as a master's degree uh, in English literary studies at uh, Durham University in the UK, where he's currently serving as a worship pastor. Um, Justin, uh, thanks thanks for coming on. If if you could just tell us about uh, yourself um, and some of your background, that'd be great. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I grew up in Japan, so I am Singaporean by nationality. My parents are Chinese Singaporean, but they were missionaries to Japan. So I grew up as an MK or missionary kid in Japan for the first 18 years of my life. But I also attended um, an international school, an American international school, a Christian school um, that... Um, I attended CAJ, Christian Academy in Japan, which is in Tokyo. And I attended that from second grade all the way to 12th grade. Um, and so I have a very mixed background, which is very classic for a third culture kid or a TCK like myself. And after graduating in 2009, I actually went back to Singapore to serve two years in the military for my national service. Um, and then I came to the UK to study and I am still here and I currently serve as a worship pastor in London. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this could be helpful um, uh, talk for a lot of people in Japan because um, many people who are missionaries in Kanto um, have a pretty close relationship with CAJ. Um, I have uh, a kid there now. Um, we just mentioned off air some of the same teachers even. Um, I work with teachers at CAJ that you went to um, school with back mm -hmm. when uh, you were a student there that they're student they're teachers now. So um, I think it's a it's a really um, central cog in the missionary world here in Tokyo. Um, and so I think that's that's some uh, really good background. So today we're going to talk about um, decolonization, which I think is interesting because I feel like there's sort of a, a spectrum of um, synonyms or near synonyms that uh, people use. And on one side, it can be much more um friendly terminology and, uh, and on the other side it can be more specific and it can be um probably less comfortable uh so i i kind of put decolonization in the middle somewhere on, on one side i often use uh decontextualization mm -hmm. i don't think that's a synonym of decolonization um but there there there's a lot of overlap and then 
even further down the line, I think you have where people use um, deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, when thought about uh, when I guess if you allow the speaker to define any of those terms, you can come away uh, with really a vibrant um, expression of Christianity, even someone that may claim to be a a deconstructionist. I I think, I guess I just want to say for the listeners, some people may have kind of a gut uh, reaction to a word like deconstruction or decolonial. And I just want to invite people to, um, to try to let go of some of any, you know, preconceptions with those words and we'll try to uh, I think define what we're thinking of when we say some of these words uh, in a way that that I think is really helpful uh, to the idea of um, sort of a natural Christianity in in any context and, and specifically in in this context being Japan and then in your context being um I suppose more of a kind of a, a broadly Asian or mixed Asian, or I, I can let you um, sort of define that. But um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, decolonization journey, or what decolonization means to you, and 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 how you went about some of that? Yeah, definitely. I think you raise a really vital and important point about the the associations people have with certain terminology. You know, people understandably have stigmas or preconceptions based on their experiences. And I just want to say from the outset, I am a Christian. You know, I'm not an ex-Christian. I I am a Christian who believes in Jesus and endeavors to follow Jesus day by day for the rest of my life. Like that is... That is still who I am, and I haven't lost my faith. Um, But I remember seeing a, I remember seeing a tweet um, by this, I think she's African American woman called Ekemini Uwan. Um, This was a couple years ago, and and it said something like. Some of you are decolonizing your faith to the point that you're decolonizing your way out of the faith. And that really stuck with me, you know, and uh, what I realized was that there were a lot of people, a lot of my friends as well, my peers, you know, um, had gone through a deconstructing um, almost of their faith, partly because of negative experiences that they had in relation to christians or churches and but then they were actually losing their faith they were deconstructing themselves out of their faith Mm -hmm. and for me my faith in jesus is will always be the core center for me so i couldn't lose that but what i realized as others began this journey and i began reflecting on my own upbringing that there were things that had been taught to me, whether explicitly or implicitly, about how to be a Christian or how to live your faith. And 
I was beginning to realize that a lot of those things didn't sit very comfortably with me. Either never really had or was becoming increasingly so. And a lot of that was intertwined with a lot of Western frameworks and ideologies. You know, it was a certain American brand of Christianity, if you'd like. A bit more in the conservative evangelical end. That was my experience um, with fundamentalist tinges, I would even say. Um, and as I continued to grow in my faith, I was realizing that they didn't seem to align with what I've been taught. So for me, decolonizing is a deconstructing in a sense of trying to disentangle my faith with those Western frameworks and ideologies that aren't helpful. Not all of it, we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. There are a lot of things that I learned and there are a lot of things that I have inherited, which I am very proud to have received and been taught. But the unhelpful things I had to let go. Um, and the next step of the process, which we probably won't get into much this time around, but was to then, once I disentangled that, was to then embrace a bit more of my East Asian culture and heritage and try and reconcile that with my faith. And so going back again to what you said about how would I describe myself, I generally use the word East Asian um, because of my kind of overlap between Singapore and Japan. So I consider myself generally an East Asian Christian um, who has been on this process of decolonizing unhelpful Western influences and reconciling it with my East Asian culture and heritage. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, what was it? So, I mean, I think I've been on sort of some similar, some similar um, journey pathways as as you have, uh, and that's why I'm you know this topic is so interesting to me. Um, I think a word that you used just now that I. Another one that I like to put on that spectrum of near synonyms that I think is less, I think is, is, is helpful is disentangle. Um, mm. And I think, you know, disentangling, like you mentioned, some of the, um, some of the Western preferences, especially as missionaries, I think even in the States, people can be challenged to make, make room for um, some of the uh, theological ideas of their neighbor non-western neighbors as you know the west is 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 really a melting pot i was going to say becoming but it's really has been for a long time maybe it's being recognized more these days um but uh yeah um something in the past that that uh, that's come through my mind is uh just the idea of a status quo and mm. you know in in my own personal uh considering of what what to disentangle and what not to um the idea of a status quo uh what is the status quo is it is it my status quo because i was i was born in california in the 80s and if you're born in california in the 80s and you're you're a christian you're a protestant you you probably either something Calvary Chapel esque mm -hmm. or John MacArthur esque, 
is kind of is kind of and and that that was really two or or Rick Warren and and really those three things were the th probably three biggest influences of my um my pre college or college days you know childhood through college um and there's a lot of th there's a lot of overlap though there's you know internal debates between things and criticisms but there's a lot of overlap theologically and at one point I was like well are those things the things that I should trust the most because I was born there or because mm -hmm. they're historic Christian things? And looking back, looking back along history, you know, isn't, I guess it's another way of being cross-cultural in a sense, you know, that the, the historical church would look different on a lot of issues just because they're hundreds of years in the past you know, it's another way of taking distance from your own um, theological home, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, that you may, that, and that was something that I think helped me once I was able to see the variety in history from where, from where I came from, it became easy to see the variety geographically as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'll, so if I want to throw back to you, um, can I ask you if if you felt at some point there was there was some kind of a a thing that triggered you to jump to kind of commit into the whole decolonization process um some kind of event or, or thing in your life or something like that? Yeah, it was I was on the mission trip. Um, I was doing an internship with my church here in in the UK, and I was on a mission trip in Nantes, in France. Um, I was about I was in my mid twenties at this time, and we we're walking around the cathedral. And I remember looking at the paintings, the Renaissance paintings of you know Jesus and the disciples, and you know beautiful classical paintings of biblical of biblical stories and figures. And I don't know what it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it down to the Holy Spirit kind of prompting me in that moment, or you know, just make awake opening my eyes. But I realized Jesus wasn't white. Like, and you know what? I'm glad we've now, at least in my spheres, we've moved to a place where that's really obvious for a lot more people. But this was back in 2018 and for someone like myself who had grown up a Christian her whole life it took me that long to realize the absurdity of of depicting Jesus as a white man like how I was trying to think in that moment I was thinking what would the disciples who were West Asian have thought about that you know would they have considered that heresy or whatever it is now i think there is a contextual thing of you know different cultures depict jesus differently you know in africa jesus is often the black man in asian countries jesus is you know can be depicted as one of them and the beauty of that is brings home the incarnational reality of jesus was one of us and therefore we can relate to him but 
for so long, just because of my upbringing within that very American Western Christianity, whenever I prayed to Jesus, I always imagined and envisioned a white man. And there was, it wasn't until I saw, I was also, I also took a miss, missiology class that year. And the lecturer showed me an image of an East Asian Jesus. And I actually was moved to tears. Like I got quite emotional. And that was a completely unexpected response. One, because I didn't even know those depictions existed. But two, I didn't realize just how moving that was to me and how much closer to home it brought Jesus to me. And I would say that was one of the big turning points for me. Um, and the other point as well was I was doing an essay for a historical theology class that same year. And my tutor, who was a Korean American, he introduced me to a theologian called Amos Young, who is a Malaysian American Pentecostal theologian who is currently at Fuller Seminary. Um, and he's absolutely brilliant. But he wrote a book called The Spirit Poured Out on All Flesh. And it was it was basically expounding how because the spirit poured out at Pentecost and subsequently on all people, you know, men and women from all ethnic and cultural backgrounds, it was a very egalitarian, you know, move of the spirit, you could say. Like everyone received the Holy Spirit. No one was excluded. And one, I didn't realize there were Asian theologians. I'd grown up only learning and reading, you know, if you think about the the big Christian theologians slash influential teachers, you mentioned Rick Warren, you know, Tim Keller, um, um, who else, who else are there? Um, John Piper, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, you've got all these and they are, they have contributed amazing things. And I've learned a lot from those people. But again, that's my idea of who the theologians were and who shaped the discourse and the ideas around theology, which then naturally led to how do you apply it to living a life as a Christian? So when I found Amos Young, I was like, oh, someone who has a similar background to me, someone who grew up in East Asia, but now, you know, was living in the West. But also what he was expounding was something that almost gave me permission to step into that i don't know if authority is the right word but just like you know the holy spirit has been poured out into me and yes we work with tradition and the church and and all of that but i have my experience as well and so how do i bring that into my format formation of my faith journey and so i would say those two um realizing that jesus wasn't white and realizing that there were Asian theologians like Amos Young were two really big turning points for me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's interesting because even just hearing you say that, that Jesus isn't white. And, you know, I think in my own background, going to like Bible schools that emphasized a lot of like historical kind of backgrounds, but really predominantly white schools Mm -hmm. i remember talking with a friend where this exact thing came up where we were we were trying to like street evangelize somewhere Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And uh, a he was talking with um, a black man. And we, we thought it was crazy. He was saying, you know, Jesus is black. And, mm. and, and we were like, of course, Jesus isn't black. And of course, Jesus isn't white. He's, you know, near mm. Eastern. And, but in our, in my mind at the time, and even really until now, it's kind of like, yes, he's not white, but he's not, he's not something else enough. He's not, not white enough for me to feel like I can't identify with him as a person who's mostly white myself. But mm. hearing you say it, and I mean, I, I feel ridiculous because I, I now I'm in a position where I have a lot of friends who are not white, who are Christians, and the idea of a white Jesus or a non, like a non-white Jesus to me, is kind of like, well, I can accept that because I'm still, I'm not imagining a Jesus that looks so different from me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I studied in Israel and a lot of the people in Israel don't look so different. From mm-hmm. white people, but then in my mind, just as you were talking, I was imagining like a Palestinian Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and a Palestinian Jesus doesn't look like me, even mm-hmm. if an Israeli Jesus looks like me. And and I don't know if that's because there was so much, you know, the the, the people of Israel today have been in, had been in Europe for so long, mm-hmm. for generations. I and I don't know because I'm not an expert on that, but mm-hmm. it even just now opened my eyes that you, a person from East Asia seeing a white Jesus and and then coming to the realization that that's not really Jesus. And then me, a predominantly white person, seeing a white Jesus and saying, oh, that's not really Jesus. It, it, it has very little emotional impact on me, but most people in the world, it would, I'm just now, I mean, it would have such an emotional impact as you pointed out, which I think is interesting um, and you mentioned uh, Amos Amos Young, so I'll I'll take this opportunity just to give a little bit of my own sort of decolonization journey, and I'm going to keep it short. Um, but part of the reason that led me to um, even start this podcast and and really delve into the sort of Japanese theological context is I would think about it. Something else you mentioned earlier. You know, we're trying not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, and I, as you were saying that, I was thinking that's that's exactly right. You know, if Christianity is the baby, and the sort of the context is the bathwater, or the Western context is the bathwater. Well, at the same time, you're right. We we do want to throw out the bathwater so that we can put the baby in the bathwater of the people that we're trying to reach. I guess. Um, so if we want Japanese people to accept the baby, it's going to be easier for them to accept the baby if the baby's in Ofuro, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's a kind of cheesy. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you. I, th- I thought it was very cheesy, but I mean, just it made sense in my mind as I was saying it. And it's early in the morning for me. So I say things without thinking enough. Uh, but yeah, so you mentioned Amos Young, who I came into contact with as I was required to uh, read one of his books um, in a seminary course I took about two years ago. And what I find, I was looking to get more into um, theological education. Again, I, I went to Bible college 20 years ago, got my BA, um, was pretty proud of that, I guess, and felt like, you know, I was told signing up for missions again almost 20 years ago, 
um, that having a BA in biblical studies from a, a Christian or a Bible college is kind of fulfills the requirement for for being a missionary and is similar to the amount of education a lot of Japanese pastors would be getting, um, even though in the States you tend to get go a little further. Uh, so I, I was pretty confident that I, I was, you know, properly trained. Um, and then, uh, and then I guess some of the things that I saw in just in American politics, um, and I don't want to be super divisive, but some of the things that I saw in American politics in the past, in the past decade, we'll say, um, caused me to think more, um, carefully, like I would like to study theology, Christianity, figure out where where we are uh, in this. When I say we, I mean my own background specifically. I guess, uh, you know, sort of American evangelicalism or, or white American evangelicalism and how that um, relates to what I do in Japan um, and how we can uh, reach Japan in a more um, away game mentality. So I'm a big baseball guy. So if you play, if you play for the Dodgers and you play in LA, the rules are pretty simple at Dodger stadium. If you go to Chicago, you have to be careful because there's Ivy on the home run fence and the rules change. So in Japan, I, I've always had that mentality, at least that, that we should be playing away game rules and the home team is Japan in, in Japan for that. Um, and that got me, I was listening to a podcast, uh, the Jude three podcast, which is specifically to sort of empower the, the, the African-American Christian community. And then I, I heard um, a, a man talking about uh, a theology school to uh, really to build up the African-American community and scholarship um his thought was there there are not as many uh bible believing um black scholars as he 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 would have liked to have seen you know uh schools that tend to um tend to be heavily bible believing tend to be historically sort of sort of white and european and and without realizing it haven't decontextualized disentangled some of the harmful things that have you know come from the past and end up being fairly uncomfortable um for black students uh if we we're to just listen to the words of some of the people that have gone to some of the, the black students that have gone to some of these institutions. So he started a um, online, like a seminary um, to try and really grow. Um, I, I think grow the pool of black Bible believing scholars. And I heard that and I was like, if something like this happened for Japan, you know, like a community where, where uh, Japanese theology is really prioritized That'd be mm. so cool. So I like immediately applied, right? And then and then nobody got back to me for months. And I was like, oh, 
I just realized I'm white. And, and this is a school that's totally for, you know, for the black community. I'm like, I'm way out of their mission statement. And it was just, the, the thing was just that there wasn't a lot of uh, administrative help at the time. So it took them time to get back to me. And that, so I've been able to study there. And, and my point in doing that was I'd like to see how, you know, things are both decontextualized and then contextualized. What are the things that should be decontextualized? And one of the first books I read was uh, one of Amos Young's book. So that's where I wanted to get back to you there. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned uh, just the idea of reading um, theologians from other parts of the world or, or other ethnicities and nationalities and perspectives. Um, I didn't know that some of the really great missiologists, you know, that are working today are actually, you know, from Africa. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to say his name correctly, but Laman Sana is, is a, a big um, missiologist that you can, you know, pe people can read his stuff. Uh, Kwame Bediako has some great stuff. And I, it makes me just wonder, people say that the continent that's growing Christianity the fastest and and by 2050 looks to be really a world leader in Christianity should be Africa. And it's funny because the the type of Christianity that seems to be growing outside of the West, you know, um Pentecostal Christianity is one that, you know, again that I don't have a great understanding of. Um I think the Western church doesn't have a great understanding of um, but as you mentioned, I think there's some good things that we can learn um, from it. And just seeing, you know, stuff from from African theologians and and uh, and self studying a lot of what I can get my hands on in from Japanese theologians has helped me to to see God from angles that I hadn't in the past. So that was just personally. I mean, if I was going to encourage the listener to Think about decolonizing. Um, you get a great view of God, you know, from from vantage points that you you hadn't naturally looked at. So I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, Justin, so you mentioned, you know, you, your de you, how you started decontextualizing and some some people that influenced that. Um, so, like, wh where does that leave you now, and where do you see yourself going, and where do you, how would you recommend people um, who want to be open to, I mean, I, I feel like you have to decolonize to be open to, to, to find that fresh context. Um, so, what would you, how would you tell people how they can go about this? It's a really good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, so I'm. That's quite exciting. Uh, I think what I want to begin by saying is um, kind of picking up on what you said about decontextualizing, and then I don't know if you said recontextualizing, but you said contextualizing in the Japanese context. You know, for example, and. I want to reiterate because I don't think it can be said enough, especially with a lot of people going through deconstruction phases, that deconstruction, at least for me, is never the end goal. 
you know, it's reconstruction. It's it's the next, it's not recolonization, just to, just to, <laughs> just to say that. Um, you know, a lot of post-colonial studies is always about how do you, you know, when the Western colonial powers came, it was very much, okay, how do you get rid of those influences? But when you get rid of that, you're left adrift. And what you need to do is then figure out, okay, what is your national identity? Or what is your, what do you, you know, what are you then bringing to the table? And so for me, the initial decontextualizing, deconstruction, whatever phrase you want to use, I'm using them a bit more overlap um, that I shared, especially in this podcast um is only the is only the start you know it was the people like amos young those moments with the more personal emotive moment with G um, the white jesus incident those were the things that alerted me to the fact that there was more to discover you know but i wasn't content to then just be to stay there i was like okay i want to discover more of who god is I want to discover more of who God has created me to be with my context, with my background, culturally, ethnically, which is beautiful, just as like everyone's ethnic cultural backgrounds is beautiful. And so I've been on a massive journey of reading a lot of East Asian theologies, especially that come from Christians who are wrestling with this same question, who are wrestling with the same questions as I am in interreligious contexts, you know, in Japan, you, because Christianity is a minority religion, you've got Shintoism and Buddhism and, you know, and animism and all of that. And how do you, you know, navigate your way as a Christian in those contexts? And, there are other East Asian countries or even other Asian countries like Singapore. It's multicultural, multi-ethnic. You know, how do you wrestle with that uh, when it's it's all, when they're multicultural and, and multi-ethnic places? And I think what I would say to someone who is open to learning is the more perspectives you get on being a Christian, from different people, the easier it is to broaden your understanding. Because at the end of the day, everything is predicated on relationships. You know, we can talk abstract theory as long as we want, but if we don't actually create relationships with people and learn their stories and learn how it affects them, then it's just words on the page. You know, it's not, um, it doesn't bring it home. Now, the great thing about books is that it allows you exposure to different people from around the world that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have in your immediate sphere of friends or acquaintances. So I would 100% recommend getting exposed to as many theologies from people who are genuine Christians. And most of the time, people who are doing this deep theological work are genuine Christians because they are wrestling if they care about it so much that they're wrestling with it, that's saying something. If you really didn't care, you wouldn't bother. Um, 
But I would also say within your spheres, get to know people, you know, listen to the Japanese Christian, you know, ask them, how, what do you think about this? Have you ever thought about that? Because the more you hear, the more you listen, the more you realize, wow, my view of things is not necessarily wrong, but it can be quite myopic. It can be quite narrow. And it doesn't have the full breadth of diverse perspectives of who God is. And, you know, as Christians, if we're seeking to love God and worship God more, both deeper and broader, then I want to learn how you, Jonathan, worship God. I want to learn how you engage with God, what you've, what God's revealed himself to you so that I can maybe, you know, pick that out and incorporate it into my own worship life and my faith, because that might be a blind spot of mine. I want to know from, you know, that sister or that brother, I want to learn more about it. So I think the first step to anything is coming with that, attitude of humility and teachability the awareness that i'm sorry to say you don't know everything <laughs> yeah. no i think I, what yeah i want to just jump in i because i think that probably myself historically included one of the biggest obstacles for i'll just keep it in context for myself and say western uh mm -hmm. christians is the 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 good theology concept like it's easy and i think we need to be challenged to to move away from this to a degree is to it's easy to say i have good theology therefore mm -hmm. if if there's something that i disagree with that's bad theology and it's it's mm -hmm. either or and it's i think yeah it's either or when you get up into Nicaea, you know, and the Apostles' Creed and the Trinity and things like that. Sure. But when you get into secondary issues or just the ways that you see, you know, the ways that you see God, I think there's a lot more room for plurality. Yes. Um, and having, you know, having that attitude that I can learn something and that if someone doesn't agree with me perfectly, it doesn't make either of us heterodox. You know, it doesn't make either of us have bad theology. I think. In a sense, one thing that 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 I've been challenging myself with, and I don't even know if it's really true, but I've come to the point now where I I don't think there is any um any theologian that I know that I've been able to say I agree with this person one hundred percent, and that mm. includes my friends, my my family. Um, if you agree with one person 100%, then I think that it's worth asking yourself if you're if you're sort of um hunting a bit if you're if, um, the words are bad but like makaseru if you're if you're um letting that person take care of you theologically mm -hmm. to the point where you're not and I and I was doing that when I came to Japan I would say well I was trained at the master's college so if I don't know the answer, I'll look in the MacArthur Study Bible, and I'll just, I'll just agree with that. That works for me, and and I'm not trying to say this now to, to push anyone or condemn anyone that that does that because that's where I was, but I I felt like once I made the jump and I said I want to, I want to be responsible for my own theological understanding, 
that also gave me, I think, the opportunity to, to really listen to people on on things and and to also hold things lightly enough that I could appreciate things, even things that I I don't a hundred percent agree with on secondary or tertiary mm-hmm. issues. Um, and it 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 really has me feeling more like seeing like a kaleidoscope of of theology and and the beauty in that rather than saying is this point correct and if this point is correct then these other points are incorrect therefore they're not worth anything so i think having that openness um is a great way to to be able to decolonize i guess and 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 to see different contexts especially if you serve in a secondary context i'm sorry i kind of jumped jumped over you a bit oh that's Um, okay yeah yeah i don't know um i think as far i mean we can go on and on with this one um but if you have any sort of final words on this topic i think just time wise that's a good a good place to to finish and i you know it'd be great to talk again about some of the other things that you or or you can also share your your sub stack um Hmm. i think that also be a great place for people who are thinking about how to be more of a broadly thinking christian so if you want to share any of that yeah no thanks i think the final thing i want to say is finishing the answer to your question of where am i at now on this journey um so if the initial stage was kind of okay these western influences aren't the best okay these asian theologies wow i didn't realize there was a whole way of doing things i'm learning more so that i can understand myself more and who god's created me to be I am currently in a third step, you could say, of, okay, as an East Asian Christian with my cultural and ethnic background and influences, how can I then now help impact the Western church? So it's kind of like bringing bringing it back, you know, and not being ashamed of who I am or not just being a Christian in the white Western way that I was raised but now being like, actually, this is what I bring to the table. This is what I have to teach you. And that's not in a condescending or proud way. It's just a, look, you've taught me, the West has taught me so much, which I still value to this day and I still live out. But there's a lot more about the Christian faith and life that can be discovered and learned. And this is what I can bring to the table. And actually, the dissertation that I did for my MA in theology at Cranmer was what the Western church can learn from East Asian theologies, particularly in relation to an openness to the spirit world. And that Um, kind of ties back to what you said about how generalizing again, but, you know, other than kind of more charismatic Pentecostal spheres, the Western world, post-enlightenment, you know, very rationalism influenced um has you could say more so than not dispensed with the spirit realm sure Sure, and whereas the majority world the global south um, latin america africa asia the spirit world is part and parcel of life yeah and that is closer to the biblical world you know we we believe in the holy spirit right right spirit you know so so that was very much my so because my current present context is in the uk is in the west you know as much as i love the asian theologies and as much as i'm still 
wrestling with, okay, what does it mean for contextual Japanese contextual faith, which I think it's brilliant you're doing this. Because my present context is in the West, I'm now being like, okay, what does contextual faith in Japan look like? How can that benefit the church in the West? You know, how can we be a global church together? So if you'd like to learn more, hopefully, you know, we can have more conversations, Jonathan. But um, if you would like to read more of my journey, I have a Substack, um, which is a newsletter. Um, it's free. Um, it's called Decolonizing My Faith. Decolonizing with an S because I am in the UK, not mm-hmm. America. <laughs> so decolonizing with an S myfaith.substack.com and I started this a year ago and it's basically just me sharing personally my journey ongoing journey of 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 what I've shared about briefly today um you know like I said it's free you just sign up by putting your email um, and they will send it to you to your inbox every time I um write a post um, if you would like to support me, then you can become a paid subscriber. I'm not doing it for the money at all, but um, it is, it's is—it's been really encouraging over the past year with the number of people who have said, thank you for writing this because that's actually helped me. You know, maybe you might be a Westerner who is wanting to be open and learn more about global theologies and especially Asian theologies. Um, maybe you are an East Asian you know, who are on the same journey as I am and wanting to learn more about what it means to be an East Asian Christian. Um, so um, hopefully there is something um, you can have a look and, and please do subscribe if you would like. Great. Well, well, thank you for taking the time to share um, about your life and and this journey that you've been on and, and I, I hope can be uh, something that spurs a lot of people on to think uh, in ways that that broadens the way we think about God and and makes us more generous in the way that we think about each other, um, because we have a lot not only to give but really to receive from others um, in the church. And I think that's one of the one of the things that anybody missionary or not you know can be excited about um, with the global church. So thanks again, and I'll uh, just go ahead and stop recording. So thanks for uh, tuning in, everyone. And see you next time.